Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Manish Dibnath. He is the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Wicked Good. He is an entrepreneur, a design thinker, philosopher, and an activist with a genuine passion for consumer behavior and communication that amplifies human potential and shapes subtle qualities of the human spirit. Welcome. How are you, Manish? Thanks for having me here. Really excited about the conversation. So to get us started, tell us a little bit about your personal journey and some of the aha moments that have uh, put you where you are today. I think uh, every journey in itself is an aha moment, right? The point that you've made it so far. And when I say it's not the accomplishment or the success, it's about like the potential journey of the life, right? So it's a mix of a lot of aha moments, okay? And specifically when you're in a dynamic and a dramatic country like India, okay, every aspect of the media, entertainment, marketing is pretty much uh, filled with a lot of mind-boggling moments and mind-boggling moments both from a positive paradigm as well as something which is from a practical paradigm. There, there are the best way of looking at uh, approaches would be to not think of it as negative aha moments. So yes, I am a literature student, ventured into the world of behavioral science, did my management and mass communications uh, with a core focus on the behavioral understanding of the human mind. Started my career as a writer and uh, I think uh, potentially ventured into the world of strategy. And when I say strategy, it's a glamorized word for a very, very, very easy you know, state of mind, which is simplification, right? Strategy is nothing but simplification. So I think as a writer, you tend to simplify what your thoughts are so that people can understand it better. It was not digressing very far away from there. Use my uh, observation capabilities, my research learning and research skill set that I've learned uh, over the period of time, okay, and got into the world of strategy. Started with Saatchi and Saatchi, ventured into DDB, went to BBH, worked for some time in JWT, then led the strategy piece in Havas, India, and then finally ventured into the world of startups. And food being very, very close to heart and close to the culture I belong to, okay, wanted to do something in that space. So yes, I think uh, that's the overall journey and that's where there were a lot of aha moments. And I'm sure as we unfold this conversation, uh, specific points could be kind of seen. And I think you'd be the best judge to kind of validate whether that's an aha moment or not. I'm not sure I'm a validator of aha moments. I'm say more of a seeker of aha moments. So tell me, uh, what actually led you and what sparked your interest in consumer behavior? To be very, very honest, I think the human mind has always intrigued me. Come from a family where uh, books, stories, cinemas were of very, very important in a sense. I grew up in a very small hill town in India called Kohima. And uh, back in the day, the population of that entire state would be probably eighty to 90,000. And so our only way of uh, nurturing the mind was getting into the world of fantasy, getting into the world of learning. And you see how cultures define behaviors. So came from a very nuclear family, okay, where, uh, you know, thinking was always uh, given extreme importance. Point of views were given extreme importance. So thereby understood the importance of having a perspective in life very early. 
from there uh, picked up a strong liking for literature picked up a strong liking for storytelling storytelling devices back in the day i think the radio was very very important really liked how uh, you know small hill town uh, catching frequencies from russia catching frequencies from different parts of the country and then going back it was not so easy to translate those uh, scripts right it was not so easy to kind of record it hear it back and then understand you how people are talking in different cultures where the medium is a constant so yes i think place of birth origin the kind of culture i grew up in gave me the interest of uh, venturing into the behavioral science and venturing into you know the human mind Interesting. So you've been doing this for a while now, and I'm wondering, have you discovered some consistencies or things that you find, you know, to be true for consumer behavior on a regular basis because of the insights you've gained or aha moments you've had during your pursuit of consumer behavior? I think one of the most important learnings as I progressed into this, you know, journey of my career as well as my life is the fact that there are certain consistencies there are certain you know broad rudimentary points okay from point a to b to c to d and so on and so forth to infinity there are some things which across cultures are constant what makes human beings behave differently is their exposure to the environment I think uh, at core, we all are made of the same chemical components, right? If we split open our body, we'll have the same chemicals. If we kind of see our entire uh, construct genomically, we'll be pretty much consistent. But what actually impacts our thinking is how we get exposed to the external environment, right? So that's something which uh, has been very, very poignant and strong as I went through my journey. And also what is very crucial is the fact that how culture plays such a crucial, you know, impact in the overall uh, construction of this person. And when I say culture, one is an existing culture of the home. It's uh, heredity, right? The culture is also heredity. You grow up in a specific family. You have certain value systems. And then you go to the external, you know, learning entities, where, which happens to your school, which happens to your college, and then so on and so forth. You build your own little groups of friends. So thereby you're absorbing everything. And all those are actually determining who you actually potentially will become. So in a country like India, it's varied culture. Even like just for an example, I came from one of the smallest hill towns in India called Kohima. Now, uh, Mumbai has been home for almost 20 years now, and uh, it is home. I think there are different Mumbais inside one Mumbai, right? Every pocket is a different culture. Be the Gujaratis, be the Marathis, be the Parsis, be North Indians from UP and Delhi, right? When they come and settle here, the kind of behaviors that they express, the kind of uh, approaches that they take towards uh, similar problems, similar questions, similar constructs, that's what is fascinating. There are certain consistencies where everybody behaves the same, okay? But what kind of, like, you know, becomes that aha moment is like, wow, just because that person had the culture of having mustard in their regular food regimes he's picking up something which is made from you know 100% healthy elements but mustard plays a very strong role i'm just giving a random example here right like small nuances right you would have never understood wow that even works as an example a popular snack brand in india once they had a launch of flavors specific to regions so in Tamil Nadu, they launched a specific flavor, which was tamarind based, because tamarind is very, very essential and quintessential in the culture of Tamilians, right? Be it the sambar, be it the food, be it everything, right? The religious importance, the mythological importance of tamarind, okay? And it was a snack. It was a wafer. Similarly, in the East, they had the same version with mustard. So I think, like, you know, as somebody who is a practitioner in the world of human behavior, you have to keep your eyes open. 
and you have to always uh, feel aha when it is a simple aspect you don't feel aha when it is a complex aspect when it is a simple one i think that gives you more aha moment than something which is like wow i never expected this to happen when you see oh this was so easy so predictable and it ought to happen that's when you get the aha moment at least for me interesting thing is i agree with you you're looking for the simplicity of but the hardest part is getting to that simplicity so do you have some tips on how do you get to those aha moments or how do you peel them back or discover them i think uh, learned it over many 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 light years uh, back the world is all about one inch and one feet so the trick to find simplified narratives or simplified versions or simplified perspectives is like draw a line which is one inch and then dig deeper which is one feet keep observing keep unpeeling take one step behind because you have to go to the origin point the thought is not to go ahead the thought is actually to you will get your simplified versions as we digress as we kind of go back into the origin point and once you reach the origin point then it becomes very very easier for you to kind of envision what exactly would be the progressive next to that so i think the trick is to follow the framework of 1 inch 1 feet see what is happening what is there on your face value and then dig deeper how do you define insight insights i think insights are basically those aha moments in observations can you give me an example of a of a recent one that you've been struck by and it was it really resonated with you i think uh, every day is a day of insights right and ironically and very very difficultly people kept saying that you know let's find new insights be it the world of science be it the world of culture be it the world of literature everybody says oh let's find new insights but ironically there are no insights there are no new insights there are insights which exist and they they keep getting evolved as we progress as an example right i think what we realized when we ventured into the world of food was the fact that a good mom always says no a bad mom always says yes right and when i say good and a bad i'm not necessarily validating or giving them a judgment call a mom who always wants good for the family for the child when it comes to food will always be somebody who says no to a lot of things because a lot of things are in that no go space a magical mom okay a transformational mom will always say no to it so we understood that a mom who says yes is actually not the actual articulation of a progressive mom a progressive mom is always going to be saying no so that was there was something which was like an aha moment because it was so simple right we've all grown up in houses where we're like mom can we do this no can we eat this no can we go there no and we're like ah mom you don't understand me you're like old but then we actually say that, oh they she is the most progressive one so what led you on the path to go into the food and beverage uh, arena I think worked a lot on different FMCG giants so I worked exhaustively on levers worked exhaustively on ITC right there were a lot of other brands in the country as well as the global paradigm okay who have ventured into different kinds of foods and beverage I was fortunate to work on them and also as a person as an individual come from a bengali household where food is extremely important you kind of uh, throughout the day the biggest topic within the family outside the periphery of family is always what is for lunch what is for dinner what are we going to eat for a snack so and uh, it also gets emulated by the culture we belong to india is a very you know heavy on food kind of uh, culture so did not uh, really think that food is an innovative way of getting into it i think food was close to heart there was uh, a lot that would have been done in the culture of food in the category of food food was very very important and food was very close to the culture belong to 
So I wanted to get into that space and see how we could bring about some disruptions because the category and the overall industry needed a disruption desperately. What type of disruptions are you looking to do? The starting of uh, the entire context of indulgent health food in itself is disruption. How can indulgent food be healthy? You indulge in cheese, but is cheese uh, healthy? You indulge in biryani, but is biryani healthy? No, right? So that's what the kind of disruptions we want to bring about is that pick up any of those comfort indulgent food, okay, where health is not a narrative, health is a missing narrative, and kind of bring about that health. So it's like magic, right? It's nothing else apart from magic, which can be used as a metaphor. For us, when we chose ingredients like chickpea, red lentils, brown rice, oats, whole wheat, whole grains, these are ingredients which are very, very healthy. And nobody thinks of them as indulgent. But we transformed them into pastas. We transformed them into noodles, right? Which is indulgent. Like you want to eat a bowl of pasta. You want to eat a bowl of instant noodles, right? Because those give you that feeling of like, you know, wow, extreme taste. It's repulsive. It's amazing to kind of uh, have that bowl of noodle when you're feeling off. So I think uh, that's what the disruption is all about. Taking something which you never predicted to be healthy and making them something which is absolutely deliciously, irresistibly delicious. And so give me an example of what you've done to do that. That's what I said, right? The example of like how we took ingredients which are otherwise very, very healthy. A specific dish or specific product in terms of th- that you've actually done and, and how is it done in the marketplace with this insight that you've had? So I think all our portfolios, we see our portfolio is broadly classified into three. One, we have pastas. Okay. Second, we have instant noodles. And third, we have hakka noodles. And pastas, if you see inherently, it's a little evolved palette. So we broadly have three categorization in the portfolio. Okay, pastas, instant noodles, and hakka noodles. And if you pick up, let's pick up pastas, right? If you draw the spectrum of audience for pastas, one on the extreme end of the spectrum will be evolved palates who look at pasta as a very gourmet sort of a consumption pattern, which is evolved, which is made with pesto, which is made with cheese sauce, which is made with like, you know, blah, 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 which is really evolved palate, where you understand the tingle tangle on your palate and you appreciate that and you go and accentuate it. On the other end of the spectrum is the mass spectrum, which look at pasta as a commodity. For them, like, you know, giving you an insight, right? In India, a lot of people, uh, you know, rotis, right? Breads, parathas, rotis, right? That's staple for majority of us Indians. So there are pockets, okay, where people cook pasta, which is loose, disorganized market, where they cook pasta with vegetables, with uh, masalas, with spices, and they consume it like a curry, consume it like a sabzi while eating roti. The notion that it gives us that people love pasta. People love the concept of a, like a, of an element which is made with wheat, mixing along with their veggies or proteins or like, you know, spices of their choice. But they don't want to eat it alone. They don't want to eat it uh, single-handedly. They want to consume it with something which is for most staple, which is a rice, which is a roti in this case. So that in itself was a very, very uh, aha moment for us. When I said, wow, people actually consume pasta like a sabzi? So yes, uh, I think when we thought about it, and we have this dal chawal chana, right? Like, you know, in India, if you talk about dal chawal chana, that's constant to across household, across kitchens in different cultures. So whether you come from a Bengali culture, whether you come from a North Indian culture or a Gujarati culture or a South Indian culture... 
I think lentils play a very important role. Rice plays a very important role, right? Chickpeas play a very important role. So we actually meticulously selected all these healthy ingredients who have got great macronutrient profiles and then magically using our recipe transformed them into pastas, okay, which otherwise was made with maida, which otherwise was made with chemicals or dough enhancers, right, which were not good for your health because it was just like empty calories. It goes into your stomach, it fills up your stomach, and then that's about it, right? Like it doesn't give you any nourishment quotient. So we, we we actually transformed that entire game. We disrupted that by using ingredients which have a higher protein content, higher fiber content, a more balanced macronutrient profile. So junk kind of took the junk and made it healthy. We want to kind of accomplish the goal of unjunking. Uh, so that's the space uh, where we are creating disruptions every day, uh, be it pastas, be it noodles. Interesting. Which of those are finding most successful for you in terms of the pastas, the noodles, or which... Early times, very honestly, Darshan, uh, very, very early. Just been two years, okay? And I think uh, every passing day is a new book of uh, consumer behavior. Today, if you see the culture, I think uh, people are not loyal. People are not stuck to one brand. The offerings have increased and thereby the choices have increased and thereby the capabilities have increased and thereby the intent of experimenting, the intent of exploring is far more higher than it ever could be. So in the same household, there are four different brands of the same commodity that enters. And thereby it becomes a very, it's not a cause and effect that, you know, if you perform, you will succeed. Sometimes you have great products, but uh, just because of the cycle of consumption, you don't really see repeat purchases over regular period of time. So if you ask me, okay, I think uh, early times, but we see good absorptions for the good intakes for the instant noodles, okay, the masala variant, which is very, very hot. The entire pasta range, which is the multigrain pasta range, the spaghetti, the rigatoni, the penne, fusilli, macaroni, those are kind of getting picked up quite uh, easily getting picked up very very with a lot of love and affection and what happens to be that absolutely curveball is the hakka noodles we never thought that hakka noodles will be such a, a great performer but in the path hakka noodles turns out to be the best performing you know sku in our entire portfolio so hakka noodles is primarily like a very linear classic hakka noodles right which you boil and then you make your own veggies and your own sauces and everything so we thought it's a very linear small offering but that happens to be something which is like the absolutely bonkers curveball. Interesting. So I'm curious, when you're developing new foods, you're trying to basically make them healthier, but how does that impact taste? And are you seeing that to be a challenge or have you figured out a secret to make sure it tastes good too? There's the biggest elephant in the room. Okay, because uh, I think taste is very, very intricate, right? And taste is very, very uh, linear. You either like something or you dislike something. There is no spectrum. Oh, I like it a little bit. I dislike it a little bit. It's not that. India is a very flat out, you know, country where like, oh, I love it or I absolutely dislike it. And taste is first in this culture. When it comes to food, it's a taste first culture. It's not a health first culture. If you're consuming for health, then you don't think taste. Okay. But if you are selling pastas and noodles and in saying that you are indulgent, you can't sell health first. We are always about taste first. We are tasty and healthy. We are delicious yet nourishing. So that's something which is very, very important from a communication perspective, from a development perspective. But like a question, okay, is it easy? Absolutely not. 
is one of the most difficult things to do. It's one of the most, most difficult things to do. And you have to constantly keep feedback as your guiding light. You have to constantly give it to customers. You have to constantly give it to different segments, audiences, who you potentially think would be consumers, and keep their feedbacks on. And uh, keep on improvising. There is no rocket science. There's no trick. There is no trick. There is no aha trick to get the taste right in the first go. Not at all. It's a relentless process. And we are still doing it and we'll keep on doing it. I agree. I think it's an ongoing process. And I'm curious, how much of, of a role does texture play in your food and the success have you found in your research? Oh, extremely important. I think mouthfeel, texture, the look and feel, but because today everybody, and I, I think that was always the scene. Incidentally, today phones have become right, like, like the midpoint between you and everything that gets exposed to you. So you eat with your eyes first, okay? Then you eat with your mouth and then your body kind of enjoys it. So if the texture is not right, okay, your eyes don't like it. And if your texture is not right, when you take a first bite, it doesn't give you that mouthfeel. So we had to really kind of, and that was one of those initial hurdles that we had to surpass. And thankfully, so now the audiences who get into us, who kind of uh, understand and buy us on a repeat uh, basis, or even as first timers, customers who buy us and uh, repeat the pattern, okay, are people who are far more cognizant that, you know, like look at pasta. The world eats pastas as al dente, which is half cooked, right? Like, you know, it's not properly mashed cooked. But in India, people prefer their food like overcooked, right? And when you are having ingredients like lentils, chickpea, you know, grains, right? Basically, so there's no binding agent. It doesn't hold together. So thereby, when you boil it for a certain amount of time, it kind of breaks, thereby the texture goes for a toss, thereby the experience goes for a toss, thereby the customer behavior is kind of turbulent and thereby you lose that customer. Then it's very important for us to kind of go upfront. So we kind of, in our product photography also, in our packaging also, if you see our packaging, our packaging, we've kind of given a real life example where exclamation is an element of surprise. Okay. And we have taken that exclamation as a window into the world of possibilities. So if you see the pack, there's an exclamation which is transparent and you can see through the product. So giving them the feeling of the texture, the color, the aura. Because India is a culture where people want to see. People take cartons and they shake it, right? And like, oh, but the stuff inside. So it's a very sensory related thing. So I think you're right. Texture is absolutely imperative in the journey that we have undertaken. So what's your next step with your business? Where do you want to see it go? I know you obviously want to make some more sales and things like that. But in terms of product offerings or categories, are there some areas you're eyeing that you think are a great opportunity to make healthier, but still tasty and obviously have good texture? We want to become a synonymous brand to taste, a synonymous brand to delicious quotient, right? Whatever we get into, whatever categories we venture into, I think we should we want to stand for that this is the tastiest pasta. This is the tastiest healthy noodle. We are venturing into interesting categories like pop chips. We're getting into uh, categories like chocolate spreads, which are indulgent, you know, kind of impulse purchases like chips. Nobody eats chips for health. Nobody, you know, has a chocolate spread for nourishment, right? We've brought about the construct and the narrative of nourishment even in those categories. So I think if you ask me, where do you want to stand? What do we want to do? Okay, we want to stand and we want to be this epitome of taste in the market where health is given as a, like, it's a redundant thing that you're giving in. We do want to be health first. We to be taste first without a compromise on him. What things have you seen change in the consumers post-COVID? Have there been any changes that you're seeing in terms of food consumption or desire to have certain types of foods? 
I think it's a very, very broad question. It's a very uh, broad aspect. I think the world has been changed uh, by the pandemic and the COVID, right? People have identified the importance of health. People have identified the importance of immunity. They have made uh, healthier choices, more mindful choices. At the same time, people have also made this absolutely wild assumption that, you know, life is short, so let's indulge. So we've got both spectrums, right? One, which is very, very, like, you know, what has happened is it has become a more balanced approach. Right? Initially, there were people who used to be only towards health and nourishment and healthy eating and home food and people who are only indulging and going out and devouring themselves in absolute junk food. What this COVID has actually impacted the behavior is they've given a balance of both that you have to eat healthy so that you are healthy. You have nourishment. You have more stronger immunity. But at the same time, life is short. So you don't know what is going to hit you next. right? So thereby enjoying and indulging is also becoming very, very quintessential part of your regular spectrum. So that's where uh, the behaviors have kind of taken us. It's a mix of both, a more balanced approach. So I'm curious now, I agree with you. I think a lot of people are going more towards natural and taste and everything. But I'm curious, what do you see happening in this space in the food and beverage here where you're having meat made from vegetables or things that are basically substitutes? They're actually not the real thing, but they're substitutes trying to taste like that. What are your thoughts on that whole movement and where you think it's headed? I want to answer this in a little different manner. If you see how the world is changing, right? It's no longer about uh, meeting personally, shaking hands, giving a hug, and then sitting and chatting for hours. The world has become divided with the screen, right? So virtual experiences are here to stay. Virtual experiences, virtual aspects of different life activities are here to stay, right? So thereby, things which are healthier, perceptual value, right? You're eating soya chunks, but they taste like chicken sausages. You're having parsley, but they taste like eggs, but they're here to stay. But I think it's also going to be on timer. It's not going to be your regular way of life. Okay. It's only going to take some time for them to penetrate inside our household and replace everything, which is the OG. Right. People will have a balance of OG, which is original and the substitute. As we go forward, slowly and steadily, the original and the OG will get diminished and the substitute will kind of overtake. But there's a long way home. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, people still, I think, ultimately want taste and they're trying out with some of these substitutes, but it's actually more processed than the food. The, the one trend is people going towards more natural and less processed. But in this other direction are these foods that are substitutes and it's much more processed. So I'm curious because I know you do a lot of uh, consumer behavior research. What are you seeing and what are you hearing? And so I was just curious, do you think it's a category that will grow as much as people seem to promise? And again, the things that drivers of sustainability, you know, carbon footprint, things like that. But ultimately, I think, as you know, it things boil down to taste, texture, and even temperature. We haven't talked about temperature. I think that's quite a big factor as well, isn't it? You know, there was a time uh, which was all about innovation, right? Where newer things came in, uh, innovative things came in, and people imbibed into it. But today, it is about innovations with responsibility. You might innovate, you might bring in something new, but how responsible are you towards our health? How responsible are you towards your outer environment? How responsible are you towards the overall planet? So sustainability, responsibility, I think are very, very important. Okay. As a matter of fact, in Havas, we are working on a meaningful brand study a report in 2020 called Overwhelming Optimism. During the peak uh, pandemic and lockdown, we released this report called Overwhelming Optimism. And over there, it's not a differential, right? It came out very, very strongly that consumers are going to prefer brands, okay, who are sustainable 
even at the compromise of their experience. People will actually choose you, okay, uh, and show support to you, even at the compromise of a bit of their experience, if they know that you are sustainable, you're responsible to the planet and the overall ecosystem. It's only, but those are small pockets of individuals and small pockets of segments, okay. Uh, with education, uh, I think it will get far more emanated, it far more get uh, kind of uh, deeply engrossed in the culture and the mainstream. So it's a matter of time. For now, I think uh, sustainability, innovations play a very, very crucial part. So what do you see happening and what areas of the food industry are interesting you most now? Or even just consumer behavior? What areas of either food and beverage or consumer behavior would you like to delve in further going into the future? Yes, food definitely is something which is multifaceted. And if you see the category today, it's wide and it's only getting wider, right? There are different kinds of, you know, aspects which are getting offered. There's a tea, there's an infusion, and then there's the flavor tea. If you take tea, if you take food, okay, the sauces, the healthy sauces, then there are DIY sauces, and then there are completely organic sauces, and then there are salads, right, where you completely throw away this concept of uh, sauces. So I think, uh, you know, people have different mindsets, a big spectrum, okay, where people have different mindsets, right? Some people look at packaged food as completely unhealthy. Like, if you are packaged, then there is no concept of healthy. But if you are not packaged, okay, then you are healthy, right? You go to the fresh stock, go for organic. So it will become difficult for market it will become difficult for brands to convince after a point in time that packaged food could also be healthy because the entire premise is like if it is packaged then it is not healthy i think it's going to be still going to be dependent driven by taste if somebody really just likes their that product they're going to have it regardless and that's what i found even though they want to support the environment everything a lot of things people say i just really like it <laughs> even it may not be healthy for me they're still gonna yeah but that's a huge segment that is the mass segment where people don't really care about anything as like huh if it's tasty then i'll go for it okay but that is slowly changing people even at that segment are also becoming health conscious uh in india just as a, as a matter of culture right uh today the gym culture today the workout culture has become very very important like you know if you go to instagram platforms which are you know uh, expressive platforms you will see segments in geographical areas which are not tier one okay which are not even tier two even in tier three and tier four concepts of sweat selfies concept of gym selfies are becoming very very interestingly expressed so thereby health is not uh, aspirational anymore health is part of lifestyle so but do i want to compromise on health i do i want to compromise on taste am i okay to compromising on taste i don't think so like it will never be so right you know you will always want things which are to consume which are taste healthy will always be a second aspect i agree so in the world of consumer behavior or food and beverage who would you like to have a meal with and pick their brain interesting question <laughs> in the world of food i can't choose anybody else okay in the world of consumer behavior in the world of consumer behavior yeah, you can choose anybody you want. That's fine. I think uh, I would really want to share a meal with probably a plateau, probably an Aristotle, and to see how they could see the future so crystal clearly even hundreds of years back. Right? I think that fascinates me. Right? They were basically a behaviorist, be it uh, Plato, be it Aristotle, be it Nietzsche. Right? You can take any names of big philosophers, okay, or philosophers who resonate with us. Okay, they were nothing but human behavior uh, engineers, and I would love to, you know, uh, have a bowl of pasta or have a bowl of noodles and understand how their mind works. I think I've shared the same sentiment as you have, and I've, I've really thought about it. And I think it goes back to something we talked about earlier, and that is striving for simplicity, right? Keep deducing and going deeper and deeper. And as you do, you'll get to what is going to be a core truth that's actually going to drive something. So as much as you and I might think 
that these philosophers were actually predicting the future, all I think they were doing in many ways was digging deeper into the human psyche and behavior and understanding more than anything, the subconscious is what's really driving a lot of us. Absolutely. Wouldn't agree more. And how about in terms of consumer behavior, any particular people that are currently that you'd like to have a meal with and uh, pick their brain as well? Uh, I wish Steve Jobs was alive. Uh, you know, uh, I think uh, to be building the biggest uh, tech firm in the world, okay, without being a techie, needs a strength of a different kind, right? And that's something which we all ought to learn. That you don't necessarily have to know what you're doing. You necessarily have to know how to deal with people who know what you want to do. So that's something which is amazing. That's something which is beautiful. I think Warren Buffett, somebody who tells us you know, a complex uh, construct of finance in such simplistic words, is somebody whom I really, really look up to. Okay, Otherwise, I'm not a left-brain person. I'm largely a right-brain person. But when I hear him, I always feel that, wow, finance is so very creative. Right. And uh, yes, these are some individuals. I'm old school, so I don't really have anybody in Neo or the recent times with whom I would. And this is with no disrespect. Probably I don't resonate with them. I still like old school entities. I still like the old way of running the world. Okay. With a hint and a flavor of the new age tech. Well, you're still pretty young. So, you know, that balances it out. So. Well, Manish, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate uh, your stories and insights. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to be doing. You know, moving forward with uh, the new food dishes and things as you discovered new insights with consumers and food preferences. Yes. Thank you so much, Darshan. It was a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Thank you for your time and the opportunity to be on your platform. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you as well. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com and make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.